Hello and welcome everyone. I am Kale Flaggy and this is the Made in Gainesville podcast. On this show, you'll hear stories and get insights from business owners and leaders from across the nation that have ties to Gainesville. On this episode, we'll hear from Adam Fahrenbacher, owner of Fahrenbacher's Artisan Sausages. Adam has an obvious passion for making sausage. He has made and sold over 70 different varieties and thousands of pounds of sausage at his store, where he makes everything from the freshest ingredients by hand. Adam traveled all over the world cooking before deciding to open Fahrenbacher's in the 4th Ave Food Park in Gainesville. Adam and I will discuss how to make sausage, business, and what it's like to live in Spain and run his Gainesville-based business remotely. Enjoy! Artisan sausage is super niche. How did you pull off a concept like that in a town like Gainesville? I can't say that there was definitely a cohesive plan going forward. The way that the business developed, I was working as a chef at a farm-to-table restaurant here in Gainesville for about five years, and I would often make fresh sausages for the menu. Um, It got to where the guests kind of expected that and they would come in and they would ask for these and asking when when they're coming back. They would ask um, if I can have a pound of these sausages to take home, Um, which gave me the idea of maybe I could, you know, go to the farmer's market. Maybe there'd be some interest at the farmer's market for these products. And so we went out to the Hale Farmer's Market um, one Saturday with something like 60 or 100 pounds of sausage that I thought, maybe I'll, I'll move a little bit of this. It was all gone in an hour and a half. Wow. Um, and and that's, what, that's what really sparked the idea of creating the style of business. Now, so you open up the store um, over in the 4th Avenue Food Park. What do you like about that location? Uh, I love that our downtown location, we're, we're very convenient uh, walk from downtown. Um, that area is really coming together with all these small businesses. Um, in the food park, you have uh, myself doing the artisan sausage, Amanda's traditional bake shop, which is amazing pastries, Opus Coffee, humble wood-fired pizza, and cilantro's tacos. No corporations, all small, family-owned businesses. The last time I went down to the 4th Ave food park, it was just you down there. It sounds like it's grown quite a bit since then. Uh, yeah, when, when, I, when I first got, went down there, there was very little else going on, but the transformation that I've seen in that neighborhood in the year and a half we've been there has just been fantastic. Now, have you ever thought of opening like on the southwest side of town, like a second location? Um, we, we have a couple irons in the fire as far as second locations. We're looking at a couple things. Nothing is really solid right now. Um, our goal right now is to get the business cohesively running, um, systems in place, people trained. Our focus right now is our downtown location. Um, Once we feel like that's running as smooth as possible, then we're going to start to make some serious moves for the second location here or potentially overseas. Very nice. Speaking of overseas, I heard rumors that you were living in Spain or spending time in Spain. What, you know, what is your, you know, status of? (laughs) Um, My wife and I are currently living in a little town on the northern coast of Spain called Andorabia. It's right on the border. You can look across the bay, which is Chagundi Bay. And uh, you're looking at the southern coast of France. Sounds awful. <laughs> it's not so bad. Um, this is a place that we vacationed at um, many times over the years. And it's kind of a central location for me. I consider it to be ongoing education. Um, in this area, they have, of course, in Spain, the most amazing Serranos. 
um, Bayonne hams, um, uh, smoked and cured fish, and just is in this epicenter of this culinary stuff that's going on charcuterie-wise that really interests me. Um, aside from that, it's, it's a beautiful place. So how is running a business remotely? I mean, it seems difficult, you know, just maybe in a different city or different state, but you're in a whole other country. How does that work? Uh, it definitely has its challenges. Um, <laughs> I got very fortunate at the time that I was ready to leave the country that I found a young chef to run the store for me, Spencer Cruz. He's doing an amazing job, and he makes it really easy on me. That being said, there's a lot of administrative stuff that goes on that's much easier to handle in person, but we have a great team as far as our uh, accountants and bookkeepers and uh, financial advisors, and majority of our business can be handled through emails or a phone call. Uh, of course, it's 100 times easier when you do it in person, but it's not impossible. So talk a little bit about your you know, continuing education. What exactly is your culinary background? Um, well, I, I was born and raised on a family farm in the Midwest, the kind that doesn't really exist anymore. I have uh, two brothers and four sisters, which comes out to about 27 prepared meals in the kitchen a day. Um, so cooking was always a big part of my family. We all love food, as well as we did a lot of all of our own butchering, our own canning, preserving, hunting, fishing, all these things. So food was always very forward in our lifestyle on the farm when I was a kid. I knew the world was a big place. I wanted to find a way that I could go out and explore it. And in my opinion, the best way to explore a new culture is through its food. Um, and that was one of the things that prompted me to wanting to become a chef. And when I was 20 years old, I left and I moved to Miami and I got my bachelor's degree in culinary arts from Johnson & Wales University. And since that time, I've worked in large hotels, boutique hotels. Um, I've done sushi. I've worked in French steakhouses. Um, I've done Mediterranean cuisine and a little bit of everything in between. I've, I was a private chef for years. Um, I've worked in the Caribbean, South Florida, outside Chicago, a little bit of everything um, before winding up here in Gainesville. Do you ever get tired of cooking all the time? Sometimes, but, but then I get hungry. Fair. I guess let's get back to the, the sausage for a minute. What kind sure. of sausages do you make at the store? Um, primarily we do fresh sausages. And the, the way that I describe a fresh versus a dried sausage, you think of a pepperoni as a dried sausage. Um, primarily what we do is fresh. And our whole philosophy is we never use any additives, fillers, or preservatives in any of our products. They're all of our own recipes. If it is a recipe and it has, let's say garlic, for example, it's not going to be a garlic powder off the shelf. We take real garlic, we roast it in olive oil, and that's our garlic. If it says basil, it's fresh basil. It's cut by hand. Everything's done in a small batch. We use very little sodium and only fresh ingredients. We do our very best to procure those from the local farmer's markets when they're available. And I have a great relationship from having done the Hale Farmer's Market for so many years with some local farmers that they'll quite often come by the shop, say after the Wednesday market, they'll come by the shop and say, hey, Adam, I have this product le left over. What are you interested in? And that's what goes on our menu the next day. How did you learn to make sausage? Um, that came again from when I was a kid on the farm. We, we raised pigs. Um, we did a lot of hunting. We um, would hunt venison, and we have all this meat. You get tired of eating uh, steaks all the time. So we would, oh, what else can we do with it? So we turned it into sausage, and it was, it was a really nice memory of myself that 
it was always my job with me and my dad when I was a kid. That in the wintertime, when it was time to make the sausage for that year, he and I would, would go and we would gather the equipment and we would spend a day or two days making and packaging and freezing all the sausage for the family for the year. And we would give it to our cousins and neighbors as gifts and things like that because the two of us, we were pretty good at it. And you said you made everything kind of in small batches, mm-hmm. you know, everything by hand. You know, why not use a machine to produce a little bit more? One of the things that I feel makes our product different than something that you'll see in the store typically is the small batch hand preparation. A large commercial operator, when they're producing sausage, they'll use these machines to mix and to extrude and to grind, and everything is done mechanically. In my opinion, it tends to overwork the meat a little bit, as, and a, as opposed to having that meaty bite of, of pork, something you can kind of sink your teeth, teeth into. It gives it almost a, a mushy, uh, pureed texture to it. It tastes a little bit less real to me. It's not the way that I grew up eating it, so it's not the style that I gravitate towards producing. Well, it seems that every time I look at your menu, you have like a different type of sausage on there that I've never even thought of as being a combination. How do you get, or, well first, can you give me a quick rundown of just like the types of sausages that you can remember that you've sold in the store? I'll do my best. We, we have, the last time we counted, we had 70 flavors that we had made over the last year. The first year in production, I personally, because I was, I was working mostly alone at that time, hand-cranked 12,000 pounds of sausage in the first year. Um, as far as the flavors we produce, we do some classics that a lot of people are going to be familiar with, Bavarian bratwurst, um, Polish kielbasas. Um, we do a lot of chorizos. One of the most popular flavors we make is a ginger and sage breakfast sausage. But we also do some exotic stuff. Um, yesterday I made a sausage with a pate spice, we call it a, a four spice, that was studded with veal sweetbreads. I also made a curry, a Penang red curry with cilantro and coconut milk yesterday. The flavors tend to be a little bit seasonal, but they also, I draw from my 20 years experience as a chef. Putting flavor combinations becomes almost second nature. You know, when you think of, I have some fresh basil, what am I going to add to this? To me, I think sun-dried tomatoes and roasted garlic. Another very popular flavor. Occasionally, people will come in and they'll say, I have this recipe that when I was a little kid, my grandparents would make me this. For example, I remember a time someone brought in a recipe for a Swedish potato sausage. It was a sweetest little old lady said, I haven't had this sausage in 60 years. This is my grandfather's recipe. So I produced that for her. And it it gives us a good feeling. And she came in and she said it was very close. (laughs) She didn't say it was right on, but she said it was very close. And I'll I'll take it. Uh, So how do you get the ideas, you know, for new sausage recipes other than, you know, old ladies bringing you in? (laughs) I read a lot. Okay. Um, I have a pretty extensive library of cookbooks. Um, But often if I'm out um, at a restaurant and I try a new dish, something I haven't tried before, I really like these flavors. My mind initially clicks, all right, how, how can I make this into a sausage? So I think kind of sausage stereotypically has this, you know, view of being like really unhealthy, really fatty, Correct. really greasy, you know, yeah. tons of sodium, just leftover animal parts. Sure. First of all, is that true? And then secondly, if it is, how is your sausage different from that? Commercially, you're not far off. Um, 
you left out that there's a lot of preservatives and additives in there as well. The products that we make at the sausage shop, I use um, primal cuts. Typically, I use a Boston butt. It's got a nice marbling to it, and in my opinion, it doesn't need extra fat added. Most commercial sausages, let's say if we're making a five-pound batch of sausage, in addition to the fat that's naturally occurring in there, they would add probably another one pound. So you're at a minimum one-fifth of fat in a commercial sausage. Ours are much lower. Um, And I don't feel that that they're lacking anything from not having that in there. Um, They're certainly not greasy, uh, in my opinion. How do you how do you make a sausage exactly? Like if someone were to attempt making one at home, you know, where would they even begin? I I can tell you my process in a nutshell. So I'll I'll take let's say uh, four Boston butts, and they're going to weigh between twenty and thirty pounds total. I'll weigh all the butts, then I can go through to my recipe. Each of our recipes are our own proprietary recipes. I can go one item at a time through the recipe. They're all weighed out to the gram. So it's um, an equation. Typically, a sausage recipe will take seven grams of salt to the pound. So if we're making 20 pounds, I know I need 140 grams of salt. I'll go through each ingredient of the recipe and make, make my spice blend. We never use a spice blend that's ordered online or anything like that. Each ingredient is weighed out one at a time. The meat will be cut into strips and seasoned and then chilled in the freezer until it's stiff but not frozen. It then goes through the grinder, into a hand press, and into the casings. What is the point of the freezing step or near freezing? Uh, It's important to keep the meat at a very low temperature while you're working it. As it goes through the meat grinder, the grinder will create friction and increase the temperature. Also, when the meat is almost frozen, let's say stiff but not frozen, it cuts, the blade cuts it much more... um, it does a much better job of, of cutting the meat. So we talked about sausage a lot. We do offer other products there. Mm-hmm. What else do you have at the shop? We love to do smoked fish. We do a lot of smoked and cured salmon. Um, quite often, we'll get some really nice uh, mackerel. We'll do a quick brine on those, a 45-minute wet brine. We'll air dry those in the walk-in cooler overnight and then smoke those the next day. They're fantastic. We also have quite a bit of cured items, such as slab bacon, Canadian bacon, pancetta. We make a wonderful pastrami in there where we brine, rub, smoke, and braise these beautiful beef beef briskets all in-house. In addition to that, we do bone broth. We make a wonderful veggie burger using uh, local tempeh, uh, sweet potatoes, lentils, and barley. I noticed you have a rotating menu. What kind of thought process goes into making that menu, and how often do you rotate it out? How do you get the ideas for new things to put on that menu? The way our, our menus are typically written, at the end of the night, as we're closing up the shop, we'll have a quick meeting with the kitchen staff, and we'll say, what are we interested in doing tomorrow? What, what sounds good? What are, what are we into this day? We've done things from um, cold noodle dishes to smoked fish, like I was talking about earlier. Uh, we always have our sausage sandwiches on the menu. We like to provide a fresh salad. Um, we do flatbreads quite often. But it's really a collaboration between the kitchen staff to say, what, what, what are we excited about making tomorrow? Or quite often a guest will come in and they'll say, I had this amazing uh, open-faced beef tongue bagel here a couple of weeks ago. When are you going to do it again? 
we'll say, hey, it'll be on the menu tomorrow. Come back tomorrow and, and we'll have it ready for you. What else do you have going on? What, what makes your shop really special? One of the things that really stands out for us, the, and when I say us, the people working at the shop, is we've always wanted to have this atmosphere of when you walk in the door, you're never gonna hear, hi, welcome to Fahrenbacher's, may I take your order? You walk in and say, hey, hey man, how's it going? What would you like today? I've had people come in and say, oh man, I'm having a rough day. Well, what kind of, what kind of music do you like? We'll switch the radio for them. So we always wanted to make it just that atmosphere that you know, you're, you're welcome into somebody's house. We're, we're just a bunch of people in there making food or into food. We're into food, music, and beer. And that's what we do at the Saucer Shop. And when we, someone comes in, I want them to be welcome to that. The 4th Avenue Food Park is a great addition to downtown. Uh, some really, really great people running these businesses. We have a tentative grand opening for September the 14th, which we're going to probably do something to the effects of a pig roast and a big party with all the businesses in the beer garden out back, which is a fantastic location. When the weather's nice, it's set out there under the shade tree. We have nice picnic tables out there. Enjoy a cold beer. We plan on projecting UF football games um, this fall. Uh, None of this is set in stone, but these are all things that we're working towards doing to make it a little more accessible and a little more fun for the public. Have you ever done any cured meats, like a summer sausage or anything like that? Um, I did make summer sausage a couple times early on, um, and it was really, really well received. It was very labor intensive. And what makes a, it so labor intensive? Um, it has the the smoking. You have to, to smoke these individual links, and just the process of hitting the exact right temperature. It's it's very detail oriented, and and they were very popular, and they were, and they were very good, and I enjoyed making them. But from a business standpoint. The amount of time that it took me to produce 10 pounds of summer sausage, I could produce 100 pounds of fresh sausage at the same amount of time. So there wasn't a very good cost benefit for me making that particular product. Um, and that's something, as a business, sometimes you have to say, you know, I can't spin my wheels making this one small, small item when I have a, a lot of demand for these other items that I, I have to make sure I'm producing those in a timely manner. So you're going to make it again? I would hope so, (laughs) but I can't guarantee it. Right. My family's from Iowa, and the town that they're from, there's this shop called the City Meat Market where they make, you know, tons of artisan sausages and meats, and they've been doing it since the 1800s. And when my family moved to Florida, every every time the weather would get cool, we'd always order stuff from there and always thought how cool it would be to have a store like this in Gainesville. But I never thought that I could actually work in a town like Gainesville, yet you kind of have a store like that and it is working. I, I actually had a very similar experience. Um, there's a place in South Florida in Sarasota called Geyer Sausage. And my business is very loosely modeled off of theirs. They're very old school German butchers and, and they're doing it in a completely different style and approach as to myself. But when I was um, young guy in the early 2000s and I was going to college in Miami my grandparents had a snowbird house in um, Venice Florida so I'd quite often go over and visit them when they were down for the for the uh, weekend or a week or however they came and it was always my grandfather's kind of treat to take me to Geyer Sausage Kitchen and hungry college student he let me go and basically gave me a blank check so pick out anything you like and uh, you can take it back for, back with you I always had these great memories of going in there with him. And I always loved that place, going in there and seeing all these 
cured meats, these beautiful sausages hanging from the ceiling, and the big guy with the apron and the handlebar mustache, and, oh, what can I get you, you know? And, and they were so knowledgeable about everything, and if you had any question about um, uh, the ingredients or the process, they, they were so happy to interact with you and tell you about it, and I just, that always stuck in my mind. I was, worked as a chef for 20 years now, and that was always one of my favorite food service interactions. And when we had the idea to open Fahrenbacher Sausage downtown, I wanted it to be something like that. I think we got very close. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm really glad it worked out. Yeah. <laughs> so far, so good. Yeah. The reception from the community has been really great. I have people come in that I've made a lot of friends, people that I never knew before, but they came in and they started to be a regular and, and we spend this time together each week, you know. They come in for lunch a couple times each week, and we spend time together, and we become friends. And almost every every week, two or three people will walk in with this kind of confused look on their face. They'll look around and say, what, what is this place? I, I just heard about this. And by the time we get through our spiel and we tell them what I'm about, they're excited. They're like, oh, I'm like, pour me a beer. I'm And uh, it's such a good feeling. Especially young guys that come in, like oh, I can get a, I can get a fresh sausage and a, and a beer in here, and uh, just rock and roll playing on the radio. It's, uh, it's a good feeling to see that smile on people's faces. As a chef, you can often make these beautiful plates, you know, but you're back in a kitchen. You can spend days or hours toiling over a dish, make this beautiful piece of art. The service staff will take it out to the table and drop it off. They come back in the kitchen. You say, what did? What did Table 31 think of that dish? Oh, they loved it. They thought it was great. They said it's absolutely delicious. That's a good feeling. But when you're there in person, you get to see the reaction on the person's face. If you, you make this amazing dish, over-the-top thing, when it sits down in front of them, you see their eyes open up and a smile come across their face. That's, that's a goal that you want to work for every time. You want, to make, you want to make every plate you make. You want people to react that way to it. And our kitchens are wide open. You can see everything we're doing in there, and we can see everything that you're doing on the other side. And uh, it's, it's, really been, it's really been a treat because it just gives you this goal. It gives you this, this feeling that you want to keep chasing. Like you want to you see if you can top the last time this guy was in here and you made him lunch. You want to see if you can give him that reaction again. What is the weirdest thing that's happened in the sausage shop? I don't think I can legally tell you that. My attorney wouldn't want me to. So what's the <laughs> Uh, let me, I'm going to have to think about that one for a second. Let me think. We had some beautiful orchids out front, and I did have a lady tell me I wasn't taking good enough care of them. They needed water, and she took them. She took them away? She took them. <laughs> she said she was going to bring them back when they were healthy again, but I haven't seen those orchids. I hope they're doing well wherever they are and that she and, and they are both happy. But, yeah, she came in one day and said that I wasn't doing a good enough job watering the flowers and took them off the table and walked out. That's, that is strange. Well, I hope I'm sure they're they're probably better in her care than they were in mine because I'm a sausage maker. Uh, taking care of flowers isn't my area of expertise, and apparently I wasn't uh, I wasn't up to par with her. <laughs> All right, Adam. Well, thank you for coming in. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.